All right, everyone, welcome back to another roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm joined, as always, by my magnanimous co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you, Michael Magnanimous. That, that's a great way to start a Friday. And uh, so quick reveal. So I'm, I'm full on spooky Saturday pre, you know, Halloween edition. I got the orange pants. I got the black shirt and I have the Bitcoin graveyard socks. So uh, rest in peace, Bitcoin uh, again. And uh, so this is the spooky Saturday edition of Roundup. Mm. And uh, we have a lot to talk about. Holy moly. We do. A lot of it's not in crypto necessarily. I mean, we're right. going to spend a lot of time talking about big tech got absolutely slaughtered. Uh, you know, the, over the past couple of weeks, we had yeah. Snap earnings uh, this past, like about a week ago now. We had Meta uh, announced after the close yesterday. We're recording this on yeah, I don't know if people 20. watch Stranger, Th- <clears throat> Stranger Things. But if you do, there's this disgusting scene where the bones start breaking. And that's kind of what happened to Snap. They got they got Vecnud. Mark, this show has made an impression on you, my man. This show oh, yeah. Like- oh, no, no. We, we just finished the fourth <laughs> season and it is so well written. It is so good. Oh, man. But, I heard they but really took it up a notch. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. The, the, the grossness of the killings. They ratcheted it's, it it's, up. It's, I, I can't watch. It's like this. Yeah. Like, look at the way. Yeah. Um, before we get into that, I had an anecdote that I wanted to share with everyone. This is going to seem a bit like a non sequitur, but you know, we were talking uh, like an episode or two ago about how, especially when it comes to you know financial exclusion, you have to make it oh, about yeah. the principle and not the specific instance of the situation. Like, do I agree with this person, and therefore I should not depart yeah. from them? I was listening to a podcast the other day <clears throat> that was going through big brands in America that colluded with Nazis during World War II. First of all, if, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, oh my God. I, it's First of all, it's very sad, but I I mean, it, was, it is shocking how in bed many large storied American corporations were People with Nazis. forget yeah. that Hitler was like a rock star. I mean, like literally companies would bring him over like as a spokesmodel and the women would swoon. And uh, I mean, it's it. No, no. There's some video, Michael. It will blow your mind. Like treating him like he's Elvis. I mean, literally shocking to me, but listen to this. uh, So I I can read a couple of these actually. They're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty just wild stories. Um, But I've got two for you here. So one of them is Chase Manhattan bank. Okay. So I'm just going to read you this this excerpt. The Chase Manhattan Bank's form of colluding with the Reich was particularly heinous. Because Carlos Niederman, Chase's representative in Paris, had very good personal relations with the Nazis, he agreed to the request that the bank seize the assets of at least 100 Parisian Jews that were considered especially worth pursuing by the Reich. This doubtless helped the Gestapo capture these people. Chase Manhattan was hardly alone in this, though. In 1998, the company was part of a suit demanding reparations from J.P. Morgan and Citibank for the millions of dollars stolen. In the end, the payouts were just $200 a month. The survivors and descendants had to fight to not have large amounts of the payments eaten up by wire transfer fees. First of all, this was in 1998, you scumbags. Second of all, it's just – I just want to focus everyone that you know, if you agree with certain seizures, this was literally – Chase Manhattan Bank that was seizing the assets of Jewish people that were being pursued by the Third Reich. So abuses of power, you know, it all seems good when it's in your favor, but it can go the other way as well. That's why you have to be ideological and principled about this stuff. You know, I, I, I'm 
I mean, one, I, I love the fact that, again, you pull up a, an amazing nugget of history mm. that uh, I, I knew there was sympathy for the right, particularly before it became like really, really, really extreme, mm. just when it was really extreme. Um, and it seemed normal to people. <clears throat> like I said, they, they shipped them over here, you know, for a photo op. Um, but what's what's so heinous about the, the, the story that you describe is the randomness of it, that's that's not yours anymore. We're, we're seizing that. Mm. And and look, I, I did a video about this and, and I talk about it um, reasonably often. It's not your money. If you put your money in a bank, it's no longer your money. It's mm -hmm. the bank's money. Mm -hmm. And they can do with it whatever they want. And this is a perfect example. But you say, no, no, it's my money. And, and I'm being throttled again. Right? I've told the story that the first time I tried to buy, <clears throat> not even you know some crazy altcoin, just tried to buy some USDC uh, at Coinbase. Bank of America was like, oh, we got to put a hold on that money for, for 10 business days. So they're not, they're not holding my money anymore, uh, but they're throttling how much I can convert per day. Yeah. And it's making it kind of challenging to do some stuff, but you know, I, I shall overcome. But if your money is in a bank, it is absolutely 100% subject to seizure forfeiture. Uh, the, the other part of the story that I love that this kind of missed at the end is once they got the settlement, which they had to fight for, um, then the banks are like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll pay that, but but we'll just take it back in fees. In fees, because you know, so because there's a 400 year old plus trend, you know, treaty that the Rothschilds put in place. Right, this all goes back to the Rothschilds and the Bank of the Netherlands. That any international wire must go through the Bank of International Settlements with you know Jabba the Hut guy, uh, or the Standard Charter Bank, <laughs> both of which the Rothschilds own a huge chunk. And so that's why they just get the money back. It's it's like it's as sinister, right? We have to use the word sinister on sinister Saturday. Oh, spooky Saturday. So I guess it's just spooky. Crazy. They the banks in America have software that as people write checks, okay, and those checks come in and their pay and their deposits come in, it will route the checks ahead of the deposits so that you overdraft so they can charge you overdraft fees. They literally have AI that intentionally, even if you went to the bank to deposit your money and you felt like you were good. Oh, I'm sorry. We do some funky stuff and Oh, you owe us another $10 and another $10 and another $10, even mm -hmm. though you don't have $10. Yeah. So it's crazy. Here's another, you know, instance of, uh, Matt Levine wrote this great piece on this a little while ago. And I'm sorry, this is the example that I remember. So BNY, I don't mean to pick on you. Everyone kind of does the same stuff. But a little while ago, there was there's a fee, fee preference thing in finance, which is we don't like to pay upfront fees for foreign exchange conversions, right? Don't like it. Shouldn't have to do that. Yep. But BNY still has to get paid for their efforts, right? So they've got a big custody business, also got a trading desk, right? So there was, uh, I think they ended up getting in a lot of trouble for this, but basically they would say, okay, no, 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 no worries. We're not going to charge you for foreign foreign exchange fees. But what they would do is they would route the trades then to their own trading desk and they would basically trade it at such a time during the day that it was the widest spread they could extract the most. So oh. you ended up paying 
You get, you ended up getting yeah. smoked on that. Zero on commission, the- zero commission trading is the most expensive trading you could ever yeah. do. It's yeah. the biggest scam in in brokerage, right? Everyone's oh, it's so awesome. I can trade for free. I'm like, but you realize two things. One, they're front running you. Yep. Right? They're selling your data, your order flow to Citadel and they're front running you. So that's first. But then second, they're doing exactly as Michael just described. They are taking inventory, marking it up or down, depending on which way you're trading. And then they're extracting a half or three quarters, sometimes a point where the old days you paid 50 bucks, you know, maybe you're paying 20 basis points or 25 basis points. It's crazy. I mean, it's, mm. it's like, you know, we can pick on lots of banks. It's like when Goldman Sachs in the business I used to be in uh, called Outsource CIO, uh, you know, back in the good old days when I launched in 04, we could charge 1% plus 10% of profits that we generate above a blended benchmark. Right. Basically ran around 10% a year. So if we could out, if we could help your portfolio outperform, we got, we got uh, 10% yeah. of the profits. And over the years, people you know, slashed fees, slashed, and Goldman came in finally a few years ago and said, we'll do it for free. And people were like, oh, that's awesome. Like, Are you kidding me? Yeah. Goldman does nothing for free. Okay? Yeah. They're charging you fee because they'll only put you in their own funds, which they charge management fees. And then they trade through their own account and they're extracting spread. Mm. And then there's these other insidious little intercompany transactions. So you're paying probably four or 5%. Forget the 1% you're paying us. But people don't say because it's free. It's like yeah. Facebook. Facebook's free. Okay, sure. I, uh, you know, to that point, there's a great, we could do a whole episode on this, but there's a great episode uh, by Michael Kitsis on Invest Like the yeah. Best, the whole, the past, present, and future of financial wealth management or something like that. Yeah. But he basically yeah. details the the evolution of the wealth management business. And, you know, they're basically at the heart of it sits a, a fee preference. People don't like this idea of paying to trade. They don't like the idea of paying for financial services. They want to pay nope. you a variable <clears throat> part of the commission and they want to have it hidden. And that fee preference has driven a lot of pretty poor incentive structures, I would argue, in finance. Like, oh. you know, really it's, negative. You know, it's so br- it's, it's like, remember the, the, the rule? It's, I'd say, you know, Mooch in his, you know, uh, a quarter of a truss yeah. or, you know, one, one Mooch 11 days when yeah. he was in office. The one thing he, he actually did do that I am, I am grateful for, there was this nonsense rule bill that was trying to be passed uh, called the Fiduciary Act. And, you know, great name, you know, it's really, really good for you, fiduciary, horseshit. Mm. It was written by BlackRock and Vanguard, the two largest mm. makers of, of managers of ETFs. And it basically said, if you, financial advisor, don't put your client in the lowest fee product, you're in violation of your fiduciary duty. <laughs> On what planet... On what planet does the best person in any industry charge the least? Doctor, do you walk into the hospital and say, can I have the cheapest surgeon today? (laughs) No, I don't Lawyer, you're going through a divorce. Do you want to pay the guy a hundred bucks or a thousand bucks an hour? Depends how much you want to keep, right? I mean, football coach, is Nick Saban the highest or the lowest paid coach? He actually has a clause in his contract. If Mm -hmm. anyone in the SEC gets a raise above him, he gets a raise. Mm -hmm. And he deserves it. Mm-hmm. Right, basketball coach. Does he have that in his clause? Yes, he does. Oh yeah, he has to be. He has to be the highest paid coach in the that's SEC. That's actually oh, that's a crazy clause. Yeah, um, but but he's good enough, 
I mean, yeah. if you're not good enough, you can't get that clause. But but that's the way capitalism actually should work yeah. is those who are the best. And so in what business should we want to have the lowest fees? And so if you think about it, take it to the illogical extreme. If you're the best person at asset management, mm -hmm. do you give your services away for free? Nope. Do you Why charge really you? high fees? Like does, does Renaissance charge zero? No, no, they're like four and 45 or something like that. Literally 45. Does Ken Griffin charge zero? No, it's like pass-through expense. It comes out to about 8% management fee. Um, is, is he Englander? You know, that's three and 35. So the best people charge the most. So if you mandate that you have to be in the lowest fee product, you're with the worst people in the business. But they don't care because they're in the asset management. They're in the asset gathering game. And so thankfully, Mooch said, no, this is stupid. And, you know, he helped get it blocked. And so, but that, that, and the fact that the two providers of the service mm. paid money to get on the committee that actually wrote the bill blows my mind. I mean, Crazy. this is America, like, you know, 2022. It's not, it's not like ancient England. Oh, it just makes me crazy. It's nuts. I, there, you know, there's a, uh, again, I, I would recommend people go and listen to this, um, this, this episode. It first, it kind of made me not trust, uh, wealth management. <laughs> I'll be honest. Cause I was like, you know, it, you, you <coughs> I, I've, I talked to a, a couple wealth managers and they were like, yeah, you recommend this mutual fund and that mutual fund. It's kind of like, why mutual fund? And they're always pushing. I talked to someone, uh, I went to my, uh, high school reunion. I'm not going to say which one, cause I don't want to out my, my age here, but, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who's young and, she was like, yeah, I'm all in bonds, 100% in bonds from her financial advisor. It's like, dude, that makes zero sense. And I was like, okay, I but, but here's the thing. Back, so, I, and I know how old you are and I know how old this person is. And I'll say it again and I'll keep saying it. That should be against the law. There actually I, I should agree. be a law that says in your 401k, until you are 65, you cannot own bonds. <laughs> It just makes it's no a, sense. It should be against the law because every day that you own bonds or worse, GICs. Like when I came out, they were pushing GICs. Well, what's a GIC? A guaranteed investment contract. Oh, we'll pay you 3% guaranteed, no risk of loss, you know, no market volatility. Okay. And insurance companies providing this. So what are they doing? They're investing in the market and they're keeping the difference between the 3% and, and what it makes. And they charge you a 4% fee. But it's buried in in the back four percent. They're pay. They're getting. They're getting paid more than you're getting paid, and inflation averaged over three percent during that period. So you made less than zero in real terms. It should look. I, I interviewed this guy yesterday. Amazing, amazing guys uh, named Yuri Sogolov, and mm -hmm. he's a uh, uh, he used to be a partner at Y Combinator, and well, first he was a founder uh, at Y Combinator, built a business, sold it, then went back as a partner. And uh, now he runs a, a solo VC and he backs young founders building unbelievable companies. Mm. And you, you talk about, you know, where he invests in, in the startup phase and every person in America should be able to invest in that. But it's against, it's actually right now against the law, right? You're not allowed unless you're a credit investor or qualified purchaser to invest in his strategy. Yet yeah. his goal, right? His goal is for every dollar he puts in, he wants to get back four to five. 
He's actually done better than that. But but his goal, right? Just and and what he says, look, it's a power law. I'm gonna do 50 companies, and you know, 10, 15, 20 of them are going to zero. A bunch of them are just gonna be okay, but a couple are gonna go up 100, 200, 300 times. And he's he's made uh, in his first fund in his pre-fund, uh, he's made 43 investments so far. He's already got 16 that have gone to unicorn. And this is a guy that you know, puts first, first money <laughs> in, right? First home. money in. Yeah. And I, I just, I don't know, that, the fact that your friend is all in bonds makes, makes my blood boil, makes yeah. me so angry. I mean, it's crazy. I we, we got to get. Uh, I want to move into some of our big stories this week. The big the big story in. Oh, in we my have opinion. a show to do. We can't just rant. <laughs> I mean, come on. We could. Jeez, we could. Our show. Um, keeping me. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I got some more anecdotes to circle back with at the end, but I want I want to move into meta earnings because and let's just talk about big tech in general because I want to I want to slot this in contextually for why this is important for people. But Meta had their earnings, and I've got uh, some opinions on this one, so maybe we can walk through it. So. Basically, if I can pull up my notes here, uh, Meta just released earnings after the close, uh, you know, yesterday. So that's uh, we're recording this on Friday, the twenty eighth. They recorded on the twenty seventh. Uh, shares were down about twenty two percent. That's about one fifth of the value of the the entire company after they warned of climbing costs and said losses will accelerate next year at the unit that is in charge of its metaverse ambitions, which is Reality Labs. So uh, shares initially went down to one hundred dollars and seventy eight cents. I'm looking at. Uh, $97, just over 97 and change that ended up closing at. Uh, funnily enough, Mark, Mark Zuckerberg has now lost over $100 billion off paper wealth, which is the largest drop in history. Uh, he won that honor from Maya Hoshi-san uh, over at, at SoftBank. Um, Meta is now down 70% on the year. And just to go through a little bit of their uh, of what's been going on over there, this is what analysts hate so much. So Meta's revenue has slowed uh, 4% uh, in the recently ended quarter. A lot of that is because of changes that have been made to Apple's ad tracking. Uh, and again, this has to do basically with attribution. So Apple, what they've made it very difficult to do, they've ramped up their privacy policy. They've made it very difficult for Facebook, if you're scrolling through Facebook on your phone, uh, to the, once you go onto Safari, like if they show you an ad on your phone, then they show then you go on Safari and purchase that thing. Facebook used to be able to do that attribution. Now they can't. The way that that translates into ad budgets and spending on Facebook is if you are if you're managing an ad budget on Facebook what Facebook makes it very easy to do is say hey we you put in $10 and you got 20 out and they're the way that they get to that 20 is they do that ad tracking now because their ad tracking is much less uh efficient they can only attribute $15 right of that $10 that you put in suddenly you're saying wow my customer my cost of customer acquisition is rising i need to spend less at Facebook or this channel isn't as good for me. And it's a huge headwind to their business. Uh, in addition to that, they've got the headwind of macroeconomic conditions. Obviously, we're, we talk about a lot on this show. We're likely heading into a recession. One of the first things that people tighten down on is ad budgets, right? So that's a pretty discretionary bucket. Although I would still argue Meta and Google have an oligopoly there. So, uh, But sure. they, you know, in response to this, they, they've kept headcount uh, constant. They're going to keep their headcount constant. Uh, uh, Line item basically the same into next year, but costs are still rising. That's going to be between 96 and 101 billion. And then the real kicker here is Reality Labs. This is the metaverse unit of Meta. Um, they experienced a 49% drop in revenue to 285 million and an operating loss of 3.7 billion. 
on the quarter. They have said that they're, they plan to lose about $10 billion uh, next year. And Zuckerberg has guided that it's going to be higher. So I have a lot of thoughts here, Mark. I'd love to get your take on the meta situation. Look, um, I, I, I'm going to throw it back to you. For me, it's, it's pretty simple, right? Valuation matters. Yeah. Now, it didn't for a meaningful period of time, right? We, we did a temporary suspension of, of disbelief, kind of like when you go to the movies, uh, from basically 2017 to, to 2021. And people just didn't care. But you know, Meta now has had zero return. Since yep. 2015, zero. It's been dead money, right? It went up and it gave it all back. And that, that, and if you look at the charts, right? If you look at all the FANG charts, they look like the classic bubble chart, right? They had the jump, then they had the drop, then they had the parabolic move, then they dropped, then they had the return to normal. And then it's just been, it's just been straight down. Yep. And, and, and the reality is, my, my little thing is FANGs bite, right? Mm. It's their nature right? Fangs are, are going to bite eventually. And it literally is the, the, the parable or story. I mean, it's not a parable. I guess it's a story of the emperor has no clothes, mm. right? These companies, yes, they are really, really good. They are profitable businesses, but the reality is their revenue growth, just by the law of large numbers was declining. And so oh. when your revenue growth is declining, okay, you can't, give it an increasing multiple, right? You, you just can't, that's, that's not the way math works. But when there was some other stupid person who would pay more than you did, you're like, oh, good, I'll sell to you. And then I'll sell to you, then I'll sell to you. Then I'll sell. And so we had this escalation and, and it's not over, right? The, the fangs have broken, but there's a whole bunch, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Mm. But that's a long-winded way of saying um, these are some of the best, have been some of the best companies in Web2. Right? Yeah. I mean, they've built trillion plus dollar empires. But the reality is that trees don't grow to the sky. You can't grow at double digits forever. And why would you pay 20, 30, 40 times earnings for a company that's growing 10, 6, 4, 2%? And, and the thing that makes me really angry is we talked about this 90 days ago. When Microsoft earnings came, because we can talk about Microsoft too. Microsoft had bad earnings, went down a bunch. They're like, oh, oh yeah, our, our revenue growth slowed, you know, single digits. But by third, third and fourth quarter, it's going to be 14% again. And I said, no, no, it's not. There's just no chance that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it didn't. And, and so it went down again. So anyway. The, uh, you know, I think the through line because Snap had earnings last week and they bombed again. They, they again refused to offer guidance Snap. for the, the coming quarter. Is, I think that the through line here actually has something to do with shareholder rights, basically. And there are pretty egregious miscarriages of governance in, you know, these are founder-led companies, Snap, Facebook, and, you know, Brad Gerstner, who's the CEO and founder at Altimeter. I'm not sure if CEO is just that founder at Altimeter, you know, published an open letter basically imploring Meta to, cut costs, right? Uh, and not pursue this aggressive uh, approach that Zuck, that Zuck is doing. And I think on the, on the way up, right, everyone kind of knew these, you know, extreme dual class shareholding structures that are in place at a lot of these tech companies. Nobody complains when Facebook is delivering, you know, double digit earning growth and the stock is going up to the sky. Same thing with Snap. 
But on the other side, on the way down, right, when you've got, first of all, a collapsing stock price, but also a CEO and leader who seems unwilling to listen to, hey, guys, we might be maturing as a business here. Maybe it's time to, they already have really aggressive buybacks, but like, you know, start returning some capital to shareholders instead of plowing all into this idea of the metaverse. Um, investors don't appreciate that. And I think, I think this issue of, uh, you know, ridiculous founder voting rights, it's going to, I think it's going to come to the fore. Actually. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that point, mm-hmm. but I'll push back a little bit on, and I, I'm, I'm not ready to cut Zuck slack yet, mm. but I will, I will push back a little bit with um, short-term investors thinking they know best. I, I, yeah. Right. So we got all the yeah. activist investors and all these people write these letters and say, you should, you should maximize, you know, cash flow to shareholders. Mm, kinda. You're supposed to maximize value to shareholders. And if I cut all my corn and I don't harvest any seed and I don't plant, there's not gonna be any corn next year. Okay. So planting new seeds is really important. And I will say that the the conventional wisdom on what in hindsight turned out to be some of the great moves in business history looked really stupid at the time. You know, I talk about all the time, you know, when Google first came out and they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to redefine search. And people are like, what are you talking about? Search? What's, what's done? You're number 21. You know, what do we need another search engine for? Right? We got Alta Vista, we got web crawler. And they're like, watch. And, you know, stock went boom, like boom. And, and I've told the story before, right? Um, they went public at a hundred bucks and collapsed to 50. And my value manager, hedge fund friends, I'd see, I told you it's, it's going down. And I'm out in California talking to this guy. And he said, Mark, are you out of your mind? He said, this is a thousand dollar stock. I'm like, oh, come on, Glenn, Glenn, please. A thousand dollars. He's like, Mark, they're changing the world. And sure enough, they did. Then in 2005, they bought, um, Android. Yeah. And cover story of Business Week. Oh, these guys are idiots. What are you wasting money for on an operating system? What do you know about operating systems? Now they have 80% market share around the world. So I'm willing for a minute, for a minute, to say getting people engaged in the metaverse and having a conduit to get revenue, either through gaming subscriptions or, you know, I can look around my room and I can buy that, I can buy that, I can buy that with just a head nod. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, to think that's a good inve- investment. Mm. That it's not an expense, that it's an investment. Now, I'm not going to let him do what Adam Newman said. Oh, that's, that's not really an expense. That's, a, that's like almost like revenue. Like, well, no, but I won't let him do that. And, and I'm not saying he is, but, but I, I'm not sure, actually I'm kind of sure, that he's going about it a little bit wrongheaded, mm. right? Just because, and part of it is because now I'm immersed, <laughs> pun intended, in Web3 and I talk to all these amazing founders. I mean, Michael, I love my freaking job. It is so awesome to talk to these people who are envisioning the future, right? I mean, literally envisioning the future and how we'll interact and and the idea of a centralized metaverse called meta. No, 
Yeah. No. No, I, I agree so, with that. I think, you know, to your point though about long-term versus short-term decision making, I think there's a there's a balance here that ultimately I see the merits on both sides. And I think it's kind of path dependent. Like if it were, it's kind of based on the results. So <laughs> let, let, like, let, like, let me, let me give you an example of, cause you're hundred percent right. And here's where I'll give Zuck credit. He made some really difficult decisions in the past. And if he hadn't had the, the voting structure that he had, he couldn't have got it passed through. Yahoo offered to buy Facebook for like $4 billion. Everyone, his entire board of people, you know, by twice his age, all this experience, please Mark, take it. This would be an unbelievable outcome. $4 billion, such a short period of time, but Absolutely not. And think about how poor of a decision that would have been. Uh, the pivot to mobile, right? In like 2008, 2000, way before it was popular. Mark, Zuck, Mark just says, I don't don't even bring me anything if it's not mobile. So those a lot of those decision-making, like he, he's been right, frankly, about a lot of stuff. I think it has to do with expected value bets. So when you're young as a company, it makes sense to bet the kitchen sink on things because you don't have quite a lot to lose, right? And you're like, I need to get this right. And if I get it right, you know, maybe I can grow 100, 200x. And if I get it wrong, I'm not losing an enormous amount. At some period of time, you are large enough and enough people have a stake that they say, I don't actually want you to make bet the kitchen sink type bets because we've got something pretty good here. And, uh, and you know, I'm it, actually okay with taking some risk off the table. Fantastic analysis. Fantastic analysis. Yeah. Great, great insight. Again, only, only caveat is uh, adapt or die. Right. I, so yeah. Microsoft, this is Microsoft, right? Microsoft, mm-hmm. most valuable company in the world in 2000, 84% down, 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 down for almost 20 years, almost 20 years didn't yeah. get back. And then they had to have a change at the top. They had to get rid of the old and bring in the new. And the new CEO was like, cloud, we're going to the cloud. And people are like, no, no, you're, you're a laptop company. You're a desktop company. It's like, nope, nope. Future is is the cloud. And boom. I mean, un, unbelievable outcome. Yeah. And, but at the time, people were like, no, that's idiotic. And so, so I'm, I'm willing to cut him a little bit of slack. And, and here's the thing. You know how you know how, that I believe this, right? That investment committee should be an odd number, and three is too many. There is no better decision maker than a single person. Mm-hmm. Full stop. That doesn't mean they always make good decisions, but the decision making apparatus that is superior to all of them is a single person. Yeah. Just full stop. So I I, I totally actually agree that the voting structure is suboptimal for, you know, total shareholder harmony. But I, I do believe I, I, with one, okay, as long as you have a caveat that the other group can remove a crazy person. Like if somebody's doing stuff over and over without the results and destroying value, yeah. you got to be able to get rid of them, right? right? But if they keep making decisions that turn out to be good, and I said, I, if, if it were me, which is not, and I'm, I'm not a multi-billionaire and I'm not Mark Zuckerberg and I know, think I'm as smart as him, but I would at least listen to the world saying, you're the antithesis of what we want for Web3, right? We don't want you. We don't want it. We don't want 
you know, centralized. Yeah. Okay. Then how about I be the tool company? How about I be the enabler? How about I be, you know, the, the playground where you great innovators come? That's maybe the tack I would take. Yeah. In case he's I, I, watching the show, I, I, I probably, probably is, but. Yeah. I think again, you know, to, there's a lot of, again, we could do a whole episode on this and just like company life cycle management and stuff like, like there's the whole, a whole area of study and like product life cycle management. Like what's the life cycle of a product? Like when do you sunset it? Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of think I would apply a similar framework to companies after a period of time. Like, cause you know, to your point, there probably is a time when it makes sense to like the, the example that I might give is like, imagine you're a calculator company uh, and then everyone starts doing their calculate calculations on computers. Does it make yeah. sense for the company to reinvest all the profits and try to compete with Apple? Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe you should just say, "Hey guys, we had a good run. Give the give the money back and allocate to the computer company." I it's it's I can see the argument being go both ways. It's a survivorship bias thing because if Mark ends up being right, if Zuck ends up being right, he's going to be a genius. If not, it's going to be a failure in corporate governance, and that's basically how it's going to go. So we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm, I'm God, this is so hard. I'm rooting for him as a person because I respect it, but as an industry, I do not want to see what Mark Zuckerberg is. I don't want his, I do not want the future that he's envisioning. Oh. Oh, sorry. Two two more things I want to see if I can get your take on. First of all, Mitch Lasky, a uh, big investor in the gaming space, he made this observation that there have been three VR booms and they all con- coincided with um, – they've never worked. They've all coincided with books, Neuromancer, uh, Snow Crash, and Ready Player One. So it's a little bit of a boyhood fantasy type thing like, oh, I want to live in this world. It's so Absolutely. cool. I have uh, – I have a little theory about this. I haven't heard anyone else say this. Maybe you could validate or invalidate it. I kind of view Zuck's position here through the lens of antitrust because the way they used to grow, right, when there was a competitor uh, in the social media space, they would buy them, right? That was Instagram, which to your point, really unpopular acquisition at the time. Uh, Then it was WhatsApp, right? And now because of antitrust, basically they've gotten the message, you cannot acquire any bit. You can't do any meaningful acquisitions, right? So now- they have to find this new, and they're kind of saturating their, I would guess they're nearing the end of the growth on the Instagram and Facebook platforms. Like there's not an enormous amount of growth there anymore. Uh, they yep. can monetize more effectively, but they, they're they not going to continue to grow users, I don't think, at the same rate. So what are they going to do? And I think maybe meta and the metaverse pivot is an answer to that. I don't know. I don't know if you have a thought there or if that's an appropriate no, look, I, I I think it's, again, a great insight that... You know, look, he he tried to do what what I actually think is, and I don't know if it was him or if it was David Marcus or or whoever, but it was genius. What they wanted mm-hmm. to do with the their their coin, um, you know, which was originally um, became DM, but what was it before? Um, I can't remember. I think it uh, Libra. Libra, yeah, well, it was Libra, and then it became DM. Um, and other than their choice them. of the satanic cult logo, which was dumb, but maybe intentional, uh, if you watch Silicon Valley, um, which is a great show, but another great, great show. show. Great uh, show. Unbelievably great show. Uh, I wish it would come back, but, um, and we need it back because we need mm-hmm. to know what happens for Web3. I mean, they set it up and then they just went away. I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. no. I need to know what Richard thinks about the future. Um, yeah. So I, I think... Well, I, I I don't know. I'll just defer to to your great question and, and just it's yeah, it's a t- I, who knows. We'll 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 see and watch it with interest to to give people context about. Uh, so Meta, you know, really struggle with earnings and their stock's down about twenty two percent, sub a hundred bucks. 
uh, Amazon released earnings uh, after the close yesterday as well and is down. It was down 20 some percent. And now I think it's down between 12 and 14 percent. We're recording this, you know, before the market opens at 840. Yeah. But, you know, it's I think the the struggle and Google ha- had a bad miss as well. Microsoft, basically everything that we were saying a couple months ago, these these large companies, you know, oh, earnings, they're, they're going to be fine and rosy, like you were saying before. No, they're not. I, I mean, no, not. they are they are not. And the the reason I think this is important is one, uh, Eric Basmation, I don't know if you, if you know him, Mark, but he's got a great mm-hmm. framework about how economies, you know, speed up and slow down and it kind of starts, right? The, the initial cause is the slowing of rates, right? The tightening of monetary policy that trickles into basically housing. Real estate is super interest rate sensitive. Housing is the economy, not just because of the amount of wealth that people have. So it impacts consumer spending, but so much industry, right? You got to put washing machines and timber and all that kind of stuff in the homes. So and that yeah. slows then after that uh, corporate uh, earnings start to compress, and then you get layoffs and unemployment. So we're basically where I want to connect this is we're starting to see corporate earnings take dives. And there were missing expectations all over the place. So that's about where we are in the cycle. The next thing, and the Fed has said, this is what we're paying attention to, the unemployment rate. Yep. So that's I think that's about where we are. And basically, you know, the indices have held up relatively well, I would say, compared to what's going on. But yeah. then you look at what the indices are. It's like Apple. It's like Apple, Microsoft, look, Amazon. It's, it's hopium. I mean, mm. it's it's still crazy. I mean, I was looking at a couple of these companies. There are, you know, you got a company like Meta, which is now arguably cheap, mm-hmm. right? Real company. Real revenues, not, not growing really fast, but real revenues, real profits, like mm-hmm. like real billions profits. and billions of profits. And, and then you got Apple, again, real company, not growing very fast. In fact, without share buybacks, really not growing at all. So you probably shouldn't put a big multiple on it, but, but you know, okay, decent. Um, you know, not innovating like they used to, tough when you don't have the same visionary founder or leader. But, but, you know, good company. But then the problem is you go down one layer. <laughs> you know, these, these software companies, cloud companies, they're still, and it's boggling my mind, still trading at 8, 10, I saw one, 20 times revenues. Because you can't trade them on earnings because they don't have any earnings. And when you look at their charts, their revenue growth is actually slowing. It's still growing, but it's slowing. But their losses are accelerating. Yeah. And people are like, but they're down 80%. They got to be cheap. I'm like, no, they're, they're nowhere close to cheap. And, and it, it, it makes my head hurt to listen to the contortions that you have to do to justify these valuations. And, and I think what the Fed did, and we've talked about this a lot, is the Fed said, you know what? There is irrational exuberance. They didn't use that term. That was the Greenspan term. But there is yep. irrational exuberance. And we just need to bust it, right? We need to bust it. And man, did they bust it. <laughs> because yeah. to your point, there's a lag effect. But man, look what's happened to the housing market, mm-hmm. right? We've we joked, you know, I'm sitting in this house. It's up 40% in the last 12 months, according to Zillow. Oh, no. <laughs> if I tried to put that on the market for, for that level, <laughs> zero bids. There would be zero bids. Mm. And housing prices are tumbling, right? We doubled yeah. mortgage rates from three and a half to seven on the 30-year. 
And I saw a stat yesterday that just boggles the mind. It was a it was a comparison of how people who want to buy a new house had collapsed, but more importantly, the number of people who were willing to sell them a house had collapsed even more it's because really they're stuck. Yeah. Right. You can't move because you know you can't afford a new mortgage. You've got this three four percent mortgage. Whew, as long as the teaser rate doesn't go up, which it will. And this is the part, you know, I got in a debate with a guy over, not a debate. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a good debate. And I love debate, obviously. Um, yeah, me too. But, but it, it was a good debate on Twitter. Not, not the bad, like, you're a fucking idiot. You know, it was a good debate. And, <laughs> There's plenty of that uh, too on Twitter. You know, There's plenty of that on Twitter. But, but there was a good debate saying, well, you know, I know you, you think, you know, Netflix has is, is got problems, but, but it's a little luxury. And people aren't going to get rid of the little luxuries when times are tough. Like, I totally agree with you. Except if your mortgage just went from 2000 a month to 3000 a month, and that is yeah. not an exaggeration. That is a real number of an average home using a teaser rate that gets adjusted in the current 10-year environment. That's a lot of little luxuries. $1,000 a month? Whose income went up $12,000. I don't know very many people. I mean, mm. I know we've talked about this. I know there are people who think they deserve a raise that big, but no, no, because companies are actually slashing payrolls. So I, I'm, I'm not anti-Netflix and it's actually bounced nicely off the bottom. I mean, it, it's almost doubled off the bottom. And because again, they make money. Yeah. They actually make I saw money. it down there at 140 and I was like, I, you know, I've tempted to get it. I didn't, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, he who hesitates is lost, my friend. <laughs> I've got a, you know what? I, I want to get to mining stress, but I, I want to get yes. your, your uh, take on one, just one theory I have in general, which is, you know, big tech, big tech has basically put this crazy expectation in people's minds of what work should be and the output that you're expected to get from that. And, yeah. you know, is big tech amazing? Is it great? <laughs> yeah, there are great companies to your point, meta great company. And, you know, by the way, sub 10 PE, like, you know, we'll probably be looking at that in a couple of years saying, wow, that was, that was pretty cheap. Um, yep. But, yep. you know, so is, is meta a great company? Is Amazon a great company? Is Apple a great company? Yes, yes, yes. But the, what, a lot of they have also been the beneficiaries of extremely low interest rates for an extremely long period of time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Meta's still a great company, but their stock is down 70% on the year, worse than Bitcoin or Ethereum. If you match up Snap and Meta against Bitcoin and Ethereum from the Pico tops, they are yeah. Snap and, and Meta are both down more, which is pretty shocking. Uh, oh, and Amazon Michael, to is that point, to that point, the DOJ this week launched an investigation into pension fund holdings of crypto. Like, are, are you joking? Are you kidding are you, me? Are you, are you kidding me? Okay. That Remember, 83% of pensions have zero. Okay. So you're talking about, you're going to investigate the 17% that do. And their average exposure is sub 1%. The losses on crypto are less 
than the period from 11 to 12 midnight last night on Amazon. <laughs> and I mean, like total. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea that you should investigate that decision relative to the decision to have 7% of your portfolios in Apple and 6% of your portfolio in Amazon and 4% of your portfolio, that's now 1.4% of your portfolio in Meta, horseshit, mm-hmm. horseshit. This is the then they fight you phase. That This one really gets me viscerally angry that mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to do an investigation of passive investing, which is simply momentum investing, which is simply concentrated portfolios of Ponzi's, right? And when they unwind, Peloton, you, you tell me that you're not going to investigate Peloton losses? It's down 95%. 95. Mm. There's a point where people had freaking, it's a stationary bike with an iPad bolted <laughs> on and they had it versus like $40 billion value. Like, yeah. no, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it, you got re and you know, the point I was trying to make, they're great companies, but it's like, do we need the nth, you know, digital planner thing? You know, like, do we need the nth, like, oh, you log onto this software and it helps you organize your day. Boom. $10 billion valuation. You know, do we need another monday.com? Sorry. I don't mean to pick on monday.com. I've just used that one. And I don't like it, Yeah, but no, I mean, these things, I mean, there's a little bit of, I don't want to say sniffing your own farts, but a little bit of that vibe out of Silicon Valley. And I now, well, but I here's think- the here's the here's part of the problem, right? And so I was talking with Yuri um, about yesterday. You know, when he was in Y Combinator a decade ago, a cohort in a in a quarter they do four cohorts, four batches. They call them batches, four batches a year, and a batch was like 40, 50 companies. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have thousand applications, forty to fifty. That's a pretty good screening process. Probably going to get yeah. some good ideas. And things like Airbnb and Reddit and a few other companies you might have heard of have come out of there. And um, yeah, I actually learned yesterday for the first time why it was called Airbnb. I had no idea. And I'm sure you guys know this, that, but you, oh. you got an air bed and yeah. breakfast. Yeah. I, you know, Literally, I you're, this. You're, the, the, the house was supposed to put an air mattress that you could pump up and sleep on and breakfast. Yeah. Like I had no idea that was it. Um, it's kind of cool. But it's super cool story. Did you know the Obama O's story of Airbnb? No. Oh my god, Mark. This is like probably the coolest founder story. I gotta hand it. This is maybe the coolest founder story ever. Uh, you know, they were running out of money, nothing was working. They're trying to get into Y Combinator, they couldn't do it. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. This is from the How I Built This podcast they did. And basically at that time, Obama was starting to run, he was becoming popular, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he already won the election, but they basically made these boxes of they called them Obama O's, vintage. You know, so only limited number amount. They went to their local grocery store, bought basically corn puffs, and yeah. created their own Obama O's. And they sold that. They raised like fifty thousand dollars or something doing that. They that moxie, that hustle, convinced the Y Com Y Combinator basically to give them a chance to admit them to the program. Wow. But that's how they that's how they got <laughs> admitted, and that basically wow. saved the company. I know that's amazing. But the point I was on. making here is How cool of a story that is it that? used to be, you know, 40, 50 per batch. Now mm. it's 250 mm. a batch. That means a thousand new companies a year. And to your point, how many new ideas are there versus 
how many more software like superhero or Monday or whatever that are going to make me more efficient. It's, it's, it's like that stationary bike. If I don't get on it, it can't help me. Yeah. If I, I mean, I think people know this about me and now, now it's worse because now I finally did do my LinkedIn thing and I have, I, I'm, I'm afraid to even open the app 800 ish. Yeah. Open requests. I don't even know how to accept a request yet. It's how dumb I am. And so now I have more places I'm supposed to be talking to people and, and WhatsApp. I'm, I met a bunch of people. They showed me how to do WhatsApp at this conference because they wanted to be encrypted. And I'm like, okay, but now I got to remember to go into WhatsApp. And, and, and I did, and I did Farcaster, which is amazing. Blockchain based decentralized version of Twitter. Awesome. Tons of web three people. Very cool. I always forget to open it because I'm on Twitter. So I'm, I'm with you is the supply of founders is always evergreen, right? There are so many smart people, so many good motivated people in the old days, there was a limited amount of capital. There were only so many venture capitalists. There were only so many angels. Now everybody, is a venture capitalist, right? Every rich person, every tech CEO, every, everybody, every divorcee of a rich person now has a venture, every sports figure starting a venture, but every musician who doesn't say bad things on the internet is starting, you know, uh, a venture fund. It's, and that's fine. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's fine. But it's impossible to think that all of that's going to go into good ideas. Yeah, 100%. It, they, it's not their expertise. Um, I'm, I'm completely with you on that. I want we, we're winding down here. And I want to get your your take on mining in general. So let me, um, let me kind of pull up notes about so so we warned uh, a couple of uh, episodes ago, maybe it was even last week about stress in the mining sector. And I'm actually just going to briefly show my screen here. Because yeah, we talked it, about last week was this idea that you know, this firm that we've worked with, JB Investments, their their only strategy is they they wait for bankruptcies in an industry. Mm-hmm. And then when those bankruptcies take out supply of the industry, they swoop in and buy up, you know, the public remnants and they make on average seven times their money over two years. It's a pretty good strategy. Yep. And mining, and I, and I said, I'm going to set up a call with these guys and say, you know, You've done met coal. That's a mining industry. You've you've done you know auto parts. You've done airlines. You've done oil. That's a kind of a mining. Bitcoin mining might be right there because we had the first big bankruptcy. We're about to have the second, and I I'm going to have this conversation with these guys and see what they think. Yep. Uh, just to give folks context again about what we talked about, I've I've got a I've got a chart here which is charting hash rate versus the price of Bitcoin now. To, you can see these things are highly correlated. And the reason for that is just like in any other commodity-driven space, when price leads, uh, supply of that commodity basically catches up. You can think about hash rate as basically the computer power that's being used to secure the Bitcoin network. It's the amount of it's kind of a measure of the amount of electricity that's going into mining rigs that are online, right? So when the price of Bitcoin goes up, more people, it's more profitable and more people want to buy mine Bitcoin, so they kind of chase it. Now, you can see that it, first of all, the price really got away from that relationship uh, in between you know, the price. But basically, they were, they were correlated and trending in the same direction until about May of this year when you started to see the price of Bitcoin dip precipitously. But hash rate has continued on 
to reach all-time highs. You've got that alligator jaws. The reason why this is so painful for miners is because when uh, typically what happens when the price of Bitcoin goes down, uh, the hash rate that goes down, and then there's a difficulty adjustment, which makes it more profitable for miners to keep mining because the Bitcoin network basically says, hey, we understand that you have fixed electricity costs and we know the price of Bitcoin is going down. We're going to make it still okay. Now, usually what happens there in the meantime is there are bankruptcies and small individual miners go out of business because they were, you know, they didn't have a good cost structure, access to capital or whatever it is, and mining rigs pass from weak hands to strong hands. That's not happening now from my understanding because of access to capital that miners had. Some of them were good mining operations, some of them not so much. So basically, uh, big firms, I'm not going to name any names, like most of these are public things that you guys could go uh, dig around and find out in, many of them which have done pretty large layoffs. Basically, they've provided credit to a bunch of these mining operations that probably shouldn't have had as much access to credit, and it's keeping these rigs online. It's a particularly painful situation because miners are losing, I think it's the least profitable time that's ever existed to mine Bitcoin. But also, these lenders are in a, in a tough spot because they've loaned against yeah. the ASICs, right, which are the machines. And those ASICs, from the times they've made the loan, have, have lost a lot of value. So now they're in this tough position of like, you know, even if I, you know, call in this default, all I'm recouping is ASICs, which I'm going to sell for 50 cents on the dollar, and I'm going to realize an enormous loss there anyway. So the this all kind of, you know, this was indicative of the reason I'm bringing this up again, uh, we talked about this already, was Core Scientific, which is the largest public miner, says that it may see bankruptcy by the end of the year. Uh, it is indicated that it won't make payments that are coming due in late October. Mark, it's the 28th of October, so coming up pretty soon, and early November. They, uh, you know, I mean, that, that, that's basically it. They, I guess the, the one last thing that I'll say is they've, uh, you know, they had, uh, they currently hold 26.6 million in cash. You know, as of about a month ago, they hold, they held a thousand Bitcoins. Today, they hold just 24 Bitcoins on their balance sheet. Well, I mean, think about that relentless selling pressure. So, right. you know, just having to sell Bitcoin every single day and, you know, part of, Part of what we've been talking about, you know, since June 13th is this constant, you know, base pattern at around 19,000 that we just can't break away from. And, and, and it's interesting because um, I've been watching the chart and every time we get to the 20s, right, 24 at one point, then 22, then 21, now 20 and a half, there were these big wicks where we, there were just, it was like somebody was selling. Well, now we know who. And, and it was just this relentless distribution. And it, it wasn't a whale trying to manipulate the price. It was somebody trying to survive. And, and I think you can take two things away from this. One, um, just like winter, cleansing is good. I, I don't, I don't ever wish ill on people. Well, I wish ill on, on bad people, but not, I don't, I mean, that's not my judgment here. I, I, I don't wish ill. Uh, I don't want companies to go bankrupt unless they're bad companies. So and I don't think Core Scientific is a bad company. Um, and I actually met some of the people and they seem pretty good people, but so I don't wish ill on them. But if you put yourself in a position to lose, meaning too much leverage in a difficult period, I think the market needs to cleanse and, and bankruptcy exists for a reason, 
right? Yeah. It, it right. allows a restructuring and a cleansing and the lenders do lose, right? That, that's the way it works. And, but that's how capitalism is supposed to work is the risk capital gets eliminated. You bring in new capital to, you know, re, re uh, capitalize the business and, and good things can happen. And that, we've seen that over and over and over in history. And starting in 2009, 10, we kind of said, no, we don't like that. We don't want anybody to be sad. We don't want anybody to go bankrupt. Participation trophies for everybody. Money, free money for everyone. Yeah. Well, now it's not free money for everyone. Now money costs again. And so I actually think even, even though it's painful, it's healthy. And there could be a really interesting opportunity here because look, Bitcoin's not going away. You know, my socks, right? It's got the, it's got the wings. Or the, the wings, it's it's coming back, and the miners are going to exist. Some some miners are right. going to exist, and mining, I believe, right? I believe it is the most efficient conversion of energy to value in the world. Mm -hmm. Right? I believe I believe it is the most efficient because you think about you pull oil out of the ground, you got to stuff in a pipeline, you got to send it to a refinery, really tough. Uh, you know, natural gas, same thing. You take electricity from hydro or solar or wind or, or recaptured natural gas and you slap a miner on it and you create a Bitcoin, boom, it can go anywhere in the world instantaneously over the internet. Yeah. You don't even need necessarily an internet connection anymore because you can go through satellites. I mean, yeah. it's amazingly efficient transfer of value. It is. In store value. I, 100%. I also, you know, I, I bring up the, you know, the reason I think this is important to talk about is, is two reasons. One, I just make an observation. And the second I want to get your, your take on, then we probably have to wrap. One, uh, typically at the, the very bottom of bear markets is marked by minor capitulation. Like that's how it's historically worked, right? So when we were kind of trading at the like five to 6K range in 2018, then we wicked down to 3,600. That was the miners finally puking, giving up, right? Before yep. kind of stronger hands resume those miners brought the hash rate back online. Uh, so that could be coming, right? That, that That's the reason why it's worth saying, hey, there's stress in this sector. They hold a lot of the Bitcoin. You can look it up at bitcointreasuries.org. Uh, you can see who holds all the Bitcoin. Uh, the other thing that I would, I saw this take and I actually love to get your thoughts on it. You know, a lot of people watch the ETH BTC ratio, right? As a, yep. as a sign of relative strength and the desire, desire to buy ETH versus Bitcoin. And someone made the point that that might be up only from now on because in Bitcoin, you have this, this forced selling dynamic, right? This structural, the, the flows, right, of Bitcoin is you have miners that are always going to be selling Bitcoin. It's part of their business model. That's what they're going to do. And you don't really have that on ETH with the validators. I mean, kind of, right? But you, you will never have the forced selling that you do for the miners because it's not CapEx intensive, right? So you never have to, you never have to puke sell your ETH. Right, like uh, like miners would, because of this enormous amount of mining equipment. So for that reason, it kind of does make sense from a structural standpoint that you know there are more you know the relative flows of buying and selling are going to be stronger on ETH than they are on Bitcoin. I'd be curious to get your take. Uh, look, I, I, I really insightful question. Always questions are better than answers. But we should probably I mean, we could do a, literally do a whole show on that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the ETH, 
I don't have a I don't have a good answer for that because I'm still struggling with the proof of work proof of stake thing, and mm. I'm I'm still not I'm still not 100 convinced why that's a superior structure for ETH, um, and and where all those ETH miners now are going to go and can convert to, to some other, you know, chain. Um, but some of them aren't going to find a home, right? So that's going to put a more glut of equipment on the, you know, ecosystem. So yeah. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, from, from my vantage point, you know, there are, in the Bitcoin ecosystem, there are three sets of stakeholders, right? There are the developers, the validators, the miners. It seems like to me, that mining has a destiny towards concentration because of yeah. this like culling effect that you mentioned. Mining rigs, just like stocks, pass from weak hands to strong hands. Mining rigs will pass from weak hands yep. to strong hands. The, the better operated, more well-capitalized companies will accrue a larger and larger percentage of the mining uh, It's like any mining utility, power. right? But that's okay because Bitcoin, and I wish the Bitcoiners would talk about this more, where they win is validators. It's super cheap and easy to run a Bitcoin node. They have the largest, most distributed network of validators, and they have an ideologically motivated uh, group of validators, which would make it basically impossible for miners to like push through something that was unpopular, not within the spirit of Bitcoin. So I think yeah, it has less to do with absolutely. I think it has less to do yeah. with proof of work and proof of stake versus the 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 balancing in between the the miners and the the validators and I think such such an important point and 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 what's really really great about that point is it allows the natural evolution of mining into utility right 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 you you, you don't have thousands of people you know, riding bicycles generating electricity for all the houses you have one centralized in most cases per state. Um, you know, company that generates electricity and sells it to all the government. Now, tech's a little bit different, but we know what happens when that system, you know, goes down. But I, I think that's a great point that there is a a check on the system. Yeah. So the, the, the movement towards quote unquote centralization can be checked by the movement toward mass decentralization on the validator side. I think that's a good point. Yeah. And I don't know. I, like people spend a lot of time arguing about this. I don't understand what has to be argued about. Bitcoin is, in my mind, pristine collateral, great store of value, uh, a a digital gold, in 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 a realm that's probably headed towards, you know, intellectual property that's going to be built in the digital realm, yeah. secured by secured by crypto networks. I yeah. don't understand. I think that's an enormous use case and super valuable. I'm really glad that it exists. I love I love Bitcoin. I, I don't, but sometimes. People think it's ETH versus Bitcoin in this war, and I've just never agreed with that particular perspective. I love Bitcoin for what it is. I love ETH for what it is. They're different things, and that no, they are different things, and 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 they facilitate different that. things. And yeah. and and I'm and I'm to your point. I'm psyched they exist because look, I have a new profile picture. A little shout nice. out nice. to uh, to my friends at Onchain Monkeys. So I'm now uh, part of the monkey verse. And uh, <laughs> Danny Yang and Amanda Terry run this company, MetaGood. And it's all about karma. And yeah. there's a, a, an economy we've talked about in the past on the show. And, and I'm psyched that I finally got there, got my PFP and, and uh, actually made an investment in MetaGood as well. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about what they're building in terms of a community. And 
I knew this to be true, but you don't know anything until you actually do it. Like you can say, oh, I understand what it's like to go to a Clemson football game and until you actually go to a Clemson football game and see what that community is. And you can say, you know what it's like to, oh, I know it's like to own a board ape or uh, not until you actually are part of that community. Yeah. The unbelievable community of OCM is, it's been amazing. Yeah. I mean, everybody finds out that now you're part of it and it's, I don't know. I, I, I am super bullish on web three community led investment, community led, um, development. It's, 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 the, it's just fun to, to actually see it live and experience it. Um, pretty cool. Thousand percent. Mark, as always, my friend, best hour of the week. I'll see you here. Same time next week. Thank Cheers. you, my friend. Have a good weekend. Enjoy Halloween.